right, the book of 1 John, chapter 1. Read with me, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that it's ever true. Father, this morning, I pray that you'll help us as we consider our Christian life and the confidence that we need to have, and how that confidence is bolstered both through our fellowship and relationship with you and with our fellowship and relationship one with another here in the church. Father, this morning I do think of this family, this wife, and this soon-to-be-born child. I pray that you'll be with them as they've now lost a husband and a father. What a terrible tragedy that is. And Father, I pray that you'll just uplift and encourage this young lady. Father, my prayer is that David knew you as his Savior, knew Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you'll just bless that family. Bless us now, Father, as we look into your word. May your spirit have complete control here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the end of their first date, a young man was taking the young lady back to her house. They were standing on the front porch, and with an air of confidence about him, he leaned with his hand up against the wall, and smiling, he said to her, So how about that goodnight kiss? Embarrassed, the girl replied, Oh, I couldn't do that. My parents will see us. Oh, come on. Who's going to see us at this hour? No, please, I would die of embarrassment if someone saw us. I just can't do it, she replied. Come on, there's nobody around. They're all sleeping. No way, it's, it's just too risky, she replied. Oh, please, I really, really do like you. I like you too, but I just can't. It's, it's not right. Please, just a small peck on the cheek, the persistent, confident young man said. No, I just simply can't, she replied. Please, he started begging. He begged and was still leaning against the wall of the house when suddenly the front porch light went on and the girl's sister opened the door, standing in her pajamas in a sleepy voice. She said, Dad says, go ahead and give him a kiss. Or I can give him a kiss. Or if need be, he'll come down himself and give him a kiss. But for crying out loud, tell him to take his hand off the intercom button. <laughs> now, I do not promote kissing on the first date or kissing while dating. As a pastor, I think it's best if you wait. But I think this kid had some good confidence. I mean, he was going for the kill. He had an arrogance about himself. He had a confidence in what he was here presenting to this young lady. Oh, I, can, I know we're going the right direction. All the while, everybody inside heard what was going on. Maybe he had a little too much confidence. But as Christians today, we need to develop godly confidence in our trust in our Lord. Confidence, it has been said, is not formed in a seminar. It's not formed in a self-help book or in a good job done. It is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John, who here writes this epistle, this letter to the church. And by the way, it's interesting. Uh, in Paul's writing, he wrote to the church at Galatia or the church at Philippi or the church at Corinth or the church at Rome as you read his letters. But John wrote this as an open letter to the church. 
John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. We love Him because He first loved us. He Himself, in the, in the Gospel of John, referred to Himself as the Apostle whom the Lord loved. John was the human author of five New Testament books. The Gospel of John, 1 John that we read here, 2 John, 3 John, and then the book of Revelations. And it's interesting as you study and, and examine his writing and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what he penned for us. In the Gospel of John, he showed our past need of salvation. What Jesus Christ did here on this earth as completely being God the Son. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he shows how we should live in confidence in the present time because of our salvation. And that's why we've selected 1st John as our study these Sunday mornings as we look at living confidently in our Christian life. And then he wrote the book of Revelations to tell us about the future that awaits us all. The wonderful bliss that is heaven. The trials that will come during the tribulation time for those believers who are here on earth during that time. But Revelation tells us of our salvation's completion. I believe one of the greatest reasons that the Apostle John exhibited such confidence is because of his abiding fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a confident man. I mean, John himself, one of the youngest apostles, uh, one of the most influential, in fact, the wonderful story of the resurrection we were talking about in the Sunday School Hour this morning in Bob's class, uh, is that when the, when, when the apostles actually ran to the tomb, it was the apostle John, in his own words, he said, I beat Peter there. He outran him. He was the youthful, loving, uh, emotional uh, one who was attached to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was one of the inner circle of disciples. Peter, James, and John were told were the three closest apostles to our Lord here on this earth. In fact, as the book here opens, the picture that we see is John's confidence through the fellowship with number one in your outlines, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see his confidence is exuding from him. It is bursting forth out of him. And it is all based upon who the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is. Normally, people will talk about those who influence them greatly. Uh, I have heard, and I'm a, I'm a basketball player. Right? You know, I, I like basketball. I grew up playing basketball. And I, I, I grew up watching Kentucky basketball. And, and recently I heard, uh, you know, the greatest one-and-done players of all time. How many heard that this week on the sports radio station? And, and our boy John Wall was listed on that list of some of the greatest one-and-doneers of all time. And I would dare say that his goofy little dance that he did and then all the little trappings that he had as a one-year college player, he had a great sphere of influence on a lot of Kentucky fans. But his influence is nothing compared to our Lord Jesus Christ. I think of some of the great military and, and political leaders uh, throughout history. Uh, certainly George Washington, what a godly man. If you ever want some, not casual reading, but some in-depth reading, go get the 76-volume uh, series of George Washington's personal diaries. It'll take you at least 10 or 12 years to read through all of them. It is a diary dialogue of his life. And what a godly man he is. I, I don't have them personally. I think maybe as I get older or maybe in my retirement, I would love to read through them just to see how our first president was focused on God. But even he and his devotion to country, his patriotism, and his love for God does not outweigh or outshine the importance of the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. So John here writes, that which was from the beginning, he says at the very first phrase. Um, he was talking here about Jesus Christ. He was starting this letter to, uh, with an emphatic statement about Jesus Christ, the one who changed his life completely. Might I say this morning that if you've never met Jesus Christ, if you've never put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is nothing in this life for you to have confidence in. Well, I can believe in this, Pastor. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, at the root, at the foundation, all of your life is built on sand. We go to the story in the, in the uh, Gospels about the wise man built his house upon what? The rock. The rock there. The foundation. The sturdy and steady foundation of all times is Jesus Christ Himself. It was Jesus who said to the Apostle Peter, Listen, upon this rock I will build my church. He says, Listen, Peter, play on words. Your name is Little Stone. That's what His name was. Petra. But Jesus Christ was the Petro. Or excuse me, Peter was Petra. Jesus Christ was Petra, which means the stone, the foundation, the unmovable one. He said, Peter, I'm not building my church on you. I'm building my church on me. Your life can have no confidence without Jesus Christ in you. Period. You can have no fellowship without knowing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John here starts this book by saying, I met the Savior. I knew who He was. He was all the world to me. <clears throat> if you are missing out on this fellowship, you are missing out on the best relationship that can ever exist in your life. Well, my husband, my wife, my spouse, they're the most important thing to me. No, friend, they're not. The most important relationship of anyone in this room ought to be their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your marriage will be right when you're focused on God. Your home will be uh, at peace and in harmony when you're right with Jesus Christ. When that relationship, when that fellowship is established. And so John here says, that which was from the beginning. Letter A, he deals with his eternality. He here tells us Jesus Christ has always existed. Jesus Christ has always been. From the moment of creation, Jesus already existed, John said. In John 1.1, he wrote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Jesus Christ is wholly God, and because He is completely God, He is um. Uh, omnipresent, excuse me, omniscient. Uh, he is uh, omnipotent. All of the things. He is eternal. He is unchanging, immutable as we say it. He has all the attributes of God Almighty because He is God the Son. John tells us of the eternal pre-existence of Christ in a simple statement when he says, that which was from the beginning. When the worlds were framed, Christ was there. John's direct refutation in this letter, by the way, and the purpose of his writing, he deals with in that first phrase. John writes this letter. The purpose of writing this is to instill in the early believers, in the early church, confidence in God. You see, they didn't have the whole of Scriptures like we did. They couldn't hold the Bible in their hand. They couldn't see how the whole story turned out. All they saw was that Roman persecution was on every hand. And now many of the churches in Asia Minor where John was writing to are being bombarded by a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics, I like to call them know-it-alls. And they were claiming that Jesus Christ Himself was a created being. That Jesus Christ Himself had a beginning. By the way, there's many cults today that are still teaching that. 
Ask the Mormon church what they believe. They will tell you that Jesus Christ and the devil are actually brothers. Jesus the good brother, the devil the evil brother. And that he was created as a being. And John writes this to inform them, listen, don't let your confidence waver. Jesus Christ was completely God. The Gnostics of that day denied Christ and there are many today who deny Jesus Christ and His eternality. But it wasn't just His eternality that He dealt with, but letter B, it was some evidence. His evidence that He had of the Messiah. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, He says in verse 1, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested. That means made flesh. And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. It's interesting when he says the life was manifested. Uh, What a wonderful, wonderful picture. And tonight we're going to start a series, by the way, in church called Views of Calvary. And we can see that even in the Old Testament as prophets were writing and God's dealing was with the Jewish culture, God had an eye towards Calvary at all points. At all times. And we're going to look at views from Calvary, from Mount Moriah, from the sin offerings, from the sweet savor offerings. We're going to look at from the book of Psalms and how the psalmist in Psalm 22 and Psalm 85, how he looked towards Calvary. But I would remind us that John here gives us the evidence that Christ did walk this earth. He said, folks, I've seen him. Uh, the, 12 that, or the 12 that followed him, I should say, less Judas, the 11 that followed him, were all martyred save John. And John was boiled in hot oil so that his skin was completely marred and scarred. Why would a man do that unless the faith was founded in the right thing? He is here writing and said, listen, we handled him. I could touch him. When we were feeding the 5,000s, I saw him as God. When we were walking and teaching and Jesus Christ was there, he said, I had fellowship with him and I have evidence of it. I was there. I was an eyewitness to him. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, who was beginning to pastor there at Ephesus. He said, listen, buddy. I was privileged to be caught up in the third heaven. I know the story of Jesus Christ. I was an apostle born out of due time. I, the apostle Paul, know this to be a fact. He was manifest in the flesh. John 1 and verse 14, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is eternally preexistent, took the form of a man. John said, we heard and saw and touched him. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 says, we were witnesses to his majesty. These men were privileged to walk this earth with Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. What a wonderful privilege that is. And John says, I I am thankful for the fellowship that I have with the person of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he is eternal. I'm thankful that there is evidences that I still have of my creator. The first and most important question I would say of any church is what think ye of Christ? You know how you determine if a church is a good church? What do they think of Jesus Christ? Who do they think Jesus Christ is? That to me is really the acid question. Uh, that is where you test whether it's a good church or a bad church. So what do we believe here? Well, we believe as a church that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We believe that he is eternally existent 
as God. We believe that He was virgin born of the seed of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Our church believes that He lived a perfectly sinless life. He died voluntarily, securing our salvation by shedding His blood on Calvary for the sins of all mankind. A big Bible word we use for that principle is the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. Because He was sinless, because He was completely God, only He could die for the sins of all mankind. No other man could do that. Only a man can die for that man's sin. Now, either two people are going to pay for your sins. You are, or you're going to trust Jesus Christ to pay for your sins. We believe uh, that Christ was raised from the dead the third day. So John first tells us about the person of Jesus Christ. He here talks about who Jesus Christ was, and he said, the first relationship you must have, the first fellowship that you have to have to instill confidence in your life, to be able to go forward and trust what you believe, is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Alone. This morning I would ask, do you have fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the creator of the universe? If you do, then number two, there is a privilege of fellowship. There is a sweet privilege, a, a status level, you might even say, about being a Christian. Now I would dare say we ought not walk around and say, well, I'm a Christian and you're a heathen and you're going straight to hell. Be careful. That might get you a black eye or a bloody nose. Uh, you want to be careful in this. But there is a privilege that I have because I've trusted in Jesus Christ that the soul that has not trusted does not experience. They cannot enjoy. And so you and I have a layer of confidence beyond just salvation, but the fellowship that we now experience within the body of believers, the fellowship on a daily basis that we can have with Jesus Christ. John enjoyed fellowship with the Lord. The picture of the Last Supper illustrates a beautiful picture of one in love with Jesus Christ. Literally, the picture of John at the Last Supper is leaning on the chest of Jesus Christ. Now, it is a different society than we have today. If I had four men up on the platform and we were uh, doing something and I literally leaned on Mike's chest, everybody in here would say, whoa, <laughs> preacher, calm down. You know, what would you, what you weirdo, what's wrong with you? But the culture in which the Jews lived, uh, they lived in a very uh, familial setting. They lived in a very close-knit society with open emotions being expressed. It was something that was very common to see. Really kind of what we might see today is putting your arm around somebody. Hey, man, I'm praying for you. By the way, that's still okay to do. Sometimes there's some Christians that need to have an arm put around them and say, listen, I'm praying for you. Be careful if you're the one has your, you know, being the arm put around that you don't go, what are you judging me for? Be careful of that. But simply put, it's good for us sometimes to have that closeness within the family of God, within the body of believers that is here. And we see the Apostle John at that Last Supper picture literally leaning on the shoulder of Jesus Christ. He had a privileged position. Uh, you can read all the accounts, and it's John who is there. John, if you will, of the 12 apostles, got it. He got it good. He truly trusted Christ, and it truly changed his life. And so now he experiences and tells of the privilege of that fellowship in verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with us. He said, listen, I am preaching to you. I am telling you about Jesus Christ and the relationship you need to start with Him so that you can have a fellowship 
with us. In fact, the word fellowship here comes from the word koinea, which, by the way, that's the type of Greek that the New Testament was written in. Koine Greek is how it's pronounced. And you know what that means? That word koine means to have in common. When Alexander the Great conquered the world before the Roman Empire, Greek became the standard second language of all nations. It was called the common tongue. Everybody spoke Greek. Kind of like today how the world is either going to go towards Spanish or English. I'm not sure which one we're headed for yet. I'm hoping it's English because it's easier on me. But the world is headed towards a common language. And that word fellowship is the word to have in common. And so what he says is there is a privilege of what we all have in common. Jesus Christ as our Savior. What a wonderful experience. And so letter A, fellowship begins obviously at salvation. Fellowship begins when we receive Christ as our Savior. You know, all of us at one point in our life were not saved. And maybe there's some here this morning that don't know Christ as their Savior. And my plea, my beg of you today is accept Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. But all of us at some point in our life were unsaved. And if you ever went to church, I remember as a kid, I was growing up, I didn't get saved until I was 12 years old, almost 13, about a couple weeks before my 13th birthday. I remember going to youth group. I remember going to church activities, and it was kind of like, what do I got in common with these jokers? What, really? Man, those people are nuts about each other. Boy, they really like one another. What is wrong with them? And I was just a 12-year-old kid. I was a punk kid, as you can t- tell by the thoughts I had in my head. But, but what's wrong with them? Why do they go three times a week? Really? Man, do they really like each other that much? You know, Kyle gets up there and he talks for like 30 minutes. I can't even watch a television program for 30 minutes. And what is it they have in common? Well, that's the word fellowship. And he says, our fellowship is rooted and found in the person of Jesus Christ. Go over to John, uh, 1 John chapter 5. Keep your finger here. We'll turn right back. 1 John chapter 5. And by the way, if you're a young Christian, if you're newly saved, <clears throat> then you're going to want to study the book of 1 John. Even though we're studying it every sun, through every service now on Sunday morning for the next couple weeks, I want you to study it. It's a wonderful book to study. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Whosoever, believe, <clears throat> excuse me, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. He said, look, there needs to be a love and a family relationship, a care for one another because we have believed in that one who was begotten of the Father. Can you not see John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave, what? His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but should have everlasting Life. So when you think about this, John is saying our fellowship began at salvation. John 3 verses 6 and 7 say this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. Jesus is telling Nicodemus in that passage, Hey, listen, buddy, you are a rabbi of the rabbis. Do not, uh, do not get your brain twisted out of proportion. Uh, do not get confused that I said you must be born again. Because what was Nicodemus' response? Rabbi, or master, how can a man who has grown enter into his mother's womb again? We marvel at how big Drew's gotten already. But Jessica will sometimes hold him up next to her belly and go, I can't believe he ever fit in there. 
Well, he didn't fit in there in that size. And that's what really Nicodemus was asking. He said, listen, Master, how do I, how do I get back in my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. What is born of flesh is flesh. You were born of your mother one time. That's born of the flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit... The baptism, the coming in of the Holy Spirit when we believe and trust and repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His work on Calvary alone. That begins our fellowship with Christ and it begins our fellowship one with another. Why are we a happy church? <clears throat> it, it, it betrays you, by the way, sometimes that I also lead the singing. You know, most pastors, somebody else is leading the singing and they're over here singing and reading their hymn book or looking on the slides and they're not really watching. But when I lead the singing, I get to see all your faces. When we sing some sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and we say, and, the, and there are uh, sweet expressions on their face, I'd say for the majority that's true in here. <laughs> but there's sometimes, and I realize we come in, and there's things on our mind, and there's there's troubles on our heart. But generally speaking, this place is a place with sweet expressions, with happy faces, with joyous hearts, because we love God and we love one another. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do you come to church on a Sunday night? Because you love God and you love the people who are here. By the way, many people feel distant from God because they have never been born into His family. I would also say to you that there are some believers who feel distant from God, who lack confidence in their spiritual life because they too are far from God. Listen to James 4 and verse 4. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity? With God, that word enmity literally means a wedge driven in between. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <clears throat> Think about what that's saying. James is not just talking about the unsaved world. He's talking about people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in our lives, and in our homes, and in our careers, or in our choices that we've made, we have said, God, this is more important than you. We've driven a wedge. We've put enmity between us and God. Why? Because we've decided not to dwell in that fellowship. We've decided not to live in that confidence. And there are times that good, godly people, Christians who have saved and have been saved and have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, feel distant from God and feel out of salvation. They do. It may have happened in your life. It may be in your life this morning. But I would remind us, how do we restore that? We eliminate that wedge. We take care of the enemy that is there, and we draw back into a sweet fellowship with God. Last week we looked at confidence through confession, and we talked about that at length. But letter B, fellowship is not just a beginning, it does not just begin at salvation, it is to continue daily. Fellowship is to continue daily. The word fellowship in verse 3 translated, as I said earlier, uh, from, the word, uh, from the Greek word koinea, which means to have in common. If you accepted Christ as your Savior, what do you have in common with Him today? You see, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every time we have a visitation effort, every time we have a church activity, Christ is here. He's here. Are you? Well, Pastor, I, I knew you'd get on this. I knew you'd go on this route. I, I kind of had this idea. Anytime we talk about fellowship at a Baptist church, there's two things that are going to come up. Food, which is a good thing for Baptists. That's not a problem. And you harping on me being here. I certainly don't want to harp on us being here. But if we're going to have fellowship with Jesus Christ, we're going to be where He is. If you're not having your daily devotions, 
Monday through Saturday and including Sunday. If you're not in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, then you are purposefully forsaking fellowship with Jesus Christ. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, has said, I want to spend time with you. And you have said, I don't have time. You're not important to me. I do believe at some point in eternity future, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are going to stand before Jesus Christ and say, what was I thinking? What was going through my mind? My job was more important than you. My comfort was more important than you. My leisure time was more important than you. And might I also say, my kids are more important than you. That doesn't mean our kids aren't important. My son is the second most important earthly relationship I have. My wife is number one. But the most important relationship I have in my life is with Jesus Christ. There is nothing that comes between. Nothing that comes between that relationship. When that relationship is right, all of my other earthly relationships fall into place. What happens in marriages, what happens in homes, what happens in relationships that we have with other people is that we get God out of the picture and we try to fix it ourselves. Good luck. It will always fail. The efforts of man are futile in that area. You might ask, how on earth do I develop a relationship with God? The answer, simply, through His Word. Where is He? Just anywhere in there? So, Pastor, I, I'm just going to open up, and, and now I'm reading out of Psalms, and, and today I'm reading out of Ruth, so I'm going to find Him. And I would say to you, yes, He is in all of the pages of Scripture. The whole Bible is written about Him. It's once been said very truly, history should be called His story. All of the events of mankind had led to the cross and everything since the cross have looked back to it. But as we consider our life, I think an organized approach to how we study the Bible is important. That's why new Christians, I always send them to the book of 1 John. That's why believers who are established who say, well, you know, I've only got 25, 30 minutes a, 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 you know, a day for my devotions, prayer and Bible reading, I will send them to the Gospels. Uh, people that want to learn about doctrine, I will say, if you want to learn about what we believe, go to the book of Romans. If you want to see a church growing, go to the book of Acts. In other words, when we want to have fellowship with God, He's in here to be found, we just got to look for Him. We just have to approach His Word with a sincere, earnest desire. I will never forget when I was working in the Pentagon. I was far from God. I wanted nothing to do with, with, with the Creator God. I wanted nothing to do with Him. My daily devotions consisted of about once a month sitting down and reading my Bible because I got convicted in a preaching message. That was my life. And that was my life less than seven years ago. And you say, well, what happened? What changed? I had a man. His name was Alden Guy. A wonderful ment a mentor for me. He is died of pancreatic cancer uh, shortly after I got my life right. God set him there for a purpose. And he taught me how to critically study God's Word. In other words, if there's something you're looking for, go find the right book of the Bible and fellowship, commune, have something in common with God. If you're looking for something, come and ask your pastor. If you're looking for somewhere to study and what to research and how you can better have a fellowship with God, why not ask somebody in your life who is a godly example? who's living a godly life. Fellowship is to continue daily. I put in my notes, time with a family and kids is a time of bonding and fellowship because you have things in common within that family. Sometimes not as much as we should, but at least we all have the same last name, right? Our confidence in our spouse and our parents, our children, is built through a family fellowship and a family relationship. By the way, the same thing is true in the family of God. 
We have the same last name, if you will. We're all Christians, and all of us are in this family together the same way. And as we serve within the family of God, as we serve within the body of God, the church, here at Bluegrass, you and I need to draw closer to Jesus Christ and to one another. Confidence in a relationship. Uh, Time with Jesus, excuse me, equals confidence in that relationship. Time with your pastor uh, equals confidence in in his heart and passion for you and your family. Time with fellow church members equals confidence in victory over struggles. Do you know what the best thing about other believers is? Probably somebody has gone through what you're going through. That's why the Bible, and I've heard Bob say it several times, that's why in the Bible it says go to the old gray hairs. It doesn't make fun of them. It simply says that's where experience lies. They have been through the trials and the turmoils of life. And if you're a young Christian, why not go to an experienced Christian and say, how'd you get help through this? See, that builds confidence. It's confidence through fellowship. Don't ever get over the privilege of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Don't ever get over the privilege of the fellowship you have with one another through Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our third and final point. What then is the product of our fellowship? Verse 4 is, our, is the product of our fellowship. Uh, we see that there is a privilege of the fellowship. There is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have our fellowship founded. But verse 4 tells us what the product is. What is the outflow? He says, these things write we unto you that your joy may be what? Full. John, as he starts his wonderful letter, says to you and I, you can be a happy person. Now, I have seen some sourpuss Christians. (laughs) You know, there are some people that look like they have sucked on lemons for a while. We gave uh, Drew a lemon the other day. Oh, it's a wonderful face. You know, it's all puckered up, got the early wrinkle lines, and just, just an ugly, ugly face. But that's how some Christians look. And John says, it's because you don't have confidence. It's because you don't have a relationship or a fellowship with Jesus Christ. He said, you're walking around without any joy. He said, I wrote this to you. I tell you about the confidence through fellowship that you can have because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to have joy. Joy is the product of fellowship. Show me a Christian marriage with no joy, I'll show you a couple that is not in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Show me a teenager who is unhappy with life, I will show you a teenager or a person who has not been taught to have a true relationship or a fellowship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 1611 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Who wouldn't want to live that verse? Who in their right mind would say, you know what, I don't want pleasures forevermore. Just give me the old Christian lemon. That's what I'd rather have. I'd rather come to church some Sundays and say, boy, I just don't feel like I'm saved. Really? John said, listen, I want your joy to be full. The psalmist said, listen, you can have joy abundantly. You can have pleasures forevermore when you're a fellowship, when you're mind, when you have a common interest as with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we remove sin from our life and the enmity that is there is gone, he said, then you have a sweet joy in your life. Letter A, there is joy in salvation. There is joy in salvation. You say, Pastor, you're kind of excited about this. I'm excited about this because this is why I started the church. If you really must know, 
I started Bluegrass Baptist Church because I know, A, there are some Christians that live in Georgetown. I also know that there's a lot of unsaved who need to receive Jesus Christ and that within the confines of the church, you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory all because of a fellowship with Jesus Christ. There is joy in our salvation. Isaiah 12 and verse 3 says, Therefore with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. When was the last time you went back to your salvation and with the old bucket you drew out some water and said, Man, I'm just so happy I'm saved. Well, well I don't ever say that, Pastor. It's not that exciting to me. Well, it should be. Salvation means you are transferred from an eternal separation from God to His restored fellowship and eternity in the presence of God Almighty. You have been removed from suffering and pain and death for eternity and you have put it, been put into peace and life and joy and happiness. How dare we? Why on earth, I guess I should say, would we ever consider to say, my salvation ain't that important? It is important. It's absolutely necessary for all of us to every once in a blue moon go back and draw again from the wells of salvation. There's joy in salvation. But letter B, there's joy in the Scriptures. There's joy found in the Scriptures. Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Could you honestly say that today? Oh, how I love thy law. No. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible sits on the counter. And this morning we were heading out to church and... Ah! Where's the family Bible? Go find it! Really? All week. You know, what's the old saying? It's a wonderful one. Seven days without the Bible makes one week. And they don't spell it W-E-E-K. They spell it W-E-A-K. Seven days without the Bible will make you weak spiritually. But some of us will show up today and go, Yes, I love the Bible. Turn to 1 John. 1 John. Well, that's the first John I come to. And so we all end up in the Gospel of John and say, Pastor's reading the wrong verse. And I don't say that to belittle or make fun of anybody. Not at all. I understand that. But if we are truly craving a fellowship and a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to learn these things. We're going to study these things. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Psalm 119, 167 says, My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. When was the last time you actually obeyed God and said, Boy, I love that. You do it, and you, and you love it, your confidence is going to grow. You're going to be a, a confident Christian who's going to be walking around full of joy. If you trudge through the Scriptures, Mom and Dad, your kids will find no joy in them. Well, we have our devotions. You know, I look forward to, Drew is now just kind of picking it up, and, and someone gave us a, a Bible storybook to read to him at night. And I love reading little stories about Jonah. It's not the King James Version. Uh, it's a version that says Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And it's real simple terms at this point. But I look forward to the day where we can sit down as a family, and I can say, Drew, do you know what that verse means? No. It means that Jonah literally was swallowed by a whale. Can you imagine what that means? But some of us say, well, he was swallowed by a whale. I don't know how that happened. Go on to the next page. And we trudge and we belabor our devotions and our time in the Word of God. And guess what happens to our kid? Well, I'm going to church. Oh, man. I got everyone to pipe down. He's gone long today. I mean, he started at, 12, at, at 11.15. It's almost 12. You know that guy's flapping his gums for that long? Can you believe it? Mom and Dad, if you trudge through the Scriptures, your kids will. In fact, they'll be worse than you. If there's no joy in your heart, if there's no confidence in your salvation, your kids won't find it. It doesn't mean that God can't use them down the road. It doesn't mean that God can't shape their lives in a certain way. But you are being no use to them in their growth. 
There is joy in the Scriptures. Let us see and finally this morning, there is joy with the saints. Turn back towards the middle of the Bible to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. There is joy with the saints. And you say, ah, pastor, I knew you would get to this, not forsaking the assembling yourselves together. I knew you would trounce on this today. I want to look at this today, but not in the negative light that is so often portrayed. I want us, with the idea of being confident in our fellowship with Christ and confident in our fellowship with one another, I want us to examine this passage of Scripture and see the exciting part that is actually written here in the book of Hebrews. Not the negative, browbeating part that so often is preached. Look with me in verse 23 of chapter 10 in Hebrews. He says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. He said, listen, hold on to it. Be energized by it. Be excited about the profession of your faith. He said, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Boy, what an encouragement. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, God's faithful. He's unchanging. That's his nature. He is immutable, as we call it. One of the five attributes of God. And he says, look, he is always faithful. Verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. He said, look, when I come in here, I ought to make mental note of who's here and make sure I get to see him. You know, and, and I realize somebody today will have to leave church immediately. I understand that. I, 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 I get it. And I realize that our lobby is uh, eight feet wide. Uh, it's not the biggest church lobby that has ever been built. Uh, I understand uh, that, that there's a loud noise that seems to erupt in our church of people laughing and having a good time afterwards and, and getting along with one another. And we like to have a good old Baptist hootenanny every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night after church. I understand that. But if your objective, every single service is, man, he's done, let's hit the door. Man, let's get running. Get the remote start going. Let's get there even faster. Let's get out of church. If that is your idea of church, then you don't get Verse 23, or verse 24, excuse me. He said, let us consider. You know, you want to stop people you don't know in church and say, I am so glad you're here. I am so glad that God has brought you here. He said, let us provoke one another. That means encourage or, or push one another. How? Unto love and to good works. You know what? It would be great. Jason and Jolie started the Pee Wee Club. It would be great if we had some people that wanted to work in the Pee Wee Club. You know what would be great is if somebody here came and provoked unto love and good works and said to them, Hey, listen, this Sunday or tonight or next Sunday night, I'd love to come in there and help you. Jason, I understand you get to dress up like a pirate every week for Sunday night church. I mean, how great is that? You know what would be great if somebody came and provoked your pastor unto love and good works and said, We need a team group, and I realize I'm the one that God wants to run it. Yeah, I've got some things in my life I've got to straighten out, but I'm going to do it and bless God. God has put me here so that I can have fellowship. I've got things in common with you. I am saved by Jesus Christ and his shed blood on Calvary. We have fellowship one with another. You see, that is joy with the saints. And then it comes now to verse 25 where we read, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. as the manner of some is. He said there's some people that just aren't going to come together. They're not going to come to church. They're not going to be there when the doors are open. But you and I, if we have confidence in our fellowship with Jesus Christ, and we are developing confidence through his, the relationship with others who we have fellowship with, he said, you're not going to be one of those people. You're going to be here at church. And he said, that's an exciting thing. So often this verse is used to kind of beat us on the head. Don't forsake. 
Don't you do that. And we kind of get that down-the-nose look. At, oh, you have forsaken. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he finishes the verse with this. Look what he says at the end. He said, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He said, look, it's going to get more wicked and more wicked and more desperate and more terrible in the days that are coming after the writing of this. And since then, almost 2,000 years have passed, and it has gotten worse, much worse. But he said, you and I come to church to build up our faith. That's the word edification. It means to build one another. I get excited when I see you at church. I get excited when I see visitors that you've invited to church. I get excited and I am built up. You want to know how you make the pastor happy? Be at church! And not because I can put in the bulletin next week. We had 42 this morning. That, by the way, it takes me a minute to do on Saturday night when I'm making the bulletin. I really don't care to a degree, how many are sitting here. I'm glad to see your smiling, happy, confident Christian face every single Sunday because it tells me as a pastor, I'm not in this alone. I'm not out there fighting the devil by myself. I'm not, one, I'm not somebody out there on an island, but there are others who believe the way I do, who love one another and come together and worship God. There is joy with the saints. Joyful, confident Christian living is the result of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and continued confidence comes from fellowship that flows from our relationship with Him on a daily basis to other believers. As you get around unbelievers, you're going to find your confidence will wane. Your confidence will fade. Your, your joy in your salvation will disappear. But when you get around fellow Christians, your confidence will skyrocket because you have something in common. There's an excitement that is there. If you don't know Christ today, then you will not know true fellowship or confidence in this life, period. If you've drifted from Him today, then you will lack the confidence that you once had in your wonderful Savior.